Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Ball Girls. So today we have a special guest, Emma Bacheleri from Sports Illustrated. She's a baseball writer and we're so excited to have her on. A lot of our listeners know we've been trying not to talk about baseball because we don't really know what's going on. So we figured we'd have somebody who knows a lot more than we do on our show to be able to talk baseball. Yeah. Hi. Happy to be here. Thanks so much. I'll start it off. I just wanted to get into like how you started not only with baseball writing, but baseball itself, like your past experience with baseball. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's uh, pretty much my whole life. Um, My parents took me to my first major league game when I was seven months old, which uh, is for the record is too young to to take a baby to an MLB game. They did not make that mistake with my little sister. Um, But yeah, both of my parents are big baseball fans. both sets of grandparents it kind of was just a a family thing and um so it was always uh, I enjoyed sports generally growing up but especially baseball um I played softball wasn't very good but you know had that relationship to it as well um and so yeah through that I you know just was a pretty intense fan through my childhood um but I never really thought about doing it as a career in part just because uh you know, it seemed like I want to be an astronaut, like the kind of crazy pie in the sky thing. That's like, how achievable actually would that be? Like, it didn't seem like it was something that I could actually um, try to do. Uh, So I ended up kind of just falling into it in that um, in college, I I worked for the school paper, I had news internships, I thought I was going to be a news reporter. um, And kind of after a few years was very lucky to to expand into sports and you know since I'd kept my passion for for sports but really for baseball particularly that whole time it was just a huge blessing to be able to uh to get to do work with it and um yeah I'm still here that's awesome so kind of diving into the baseball questions right away then My first question is, how do you think the MLB looks in terms of versus other leagues when trying to get back into the swing of things? You know, a lot of other leagues just said when and where we're there versus the MLB, obviously the proposals that keep getting rejected. Yeah, I think it looks uh, really bad to put it simply. Um, And part of that is that I I do think baseball situation was more complicated than the NBA or NHL in that, when you're not talking about how do you resume a season that is already, you know, three quarters of the way through players already have, you know, fulfilled parts of their contracts have gotten paid some of what they were expected to get paid when you're talking about that situation versus how do we look at this rapidly evolving situation when we're not sure if we're going to have a season at all, that does put you in a different uh, starting point when it comes to discussing just the, so many of these elements. So I do think it is a little bit harder um, when they were starting out back in March when everyone was just thrown into chaos and no one knew what was going to happen. But um, yeah, since then, uh, it really has not looked good. Um, Part of that, I think, is just uh, baseball's union historically has been a lot stronger than uh, other professional sports unions. And the owners here seemed um, pretty intent on trying to kind of uh, break the union solidarity to get them to kind of roll over um, with some proposals that, you know, the first few ones that the owners put out, it seems in retrospect should have been pretty clear. Uh, the, the players 
we're not going to budge on certain things. Um, the idea of getting, you know, a full game salary for one game at a time uh, would have been nice to have seen them start closer to the same page to realize, uh, you know, that there are certain things that it makes sense that the other side is not going to give on and really kind of work toward a, a vision where they were both hoping to to want to play. Uh, and it doesn't seem like that's where they started off. And um, yeah, it just uh, it does not look good uh, at all uh, against the backdrop of everything else that's going on. So yeah. just building off that, um, basically, so we've seen they've cut down on the rounds and the draft. They cut down on minor league organizations. How do you feel that all of this is a, like in relation to the MLB, MLBPA going back and forth, how that affects like future generations of the game? Yeah, I think that's a really important point uh, because you're right, that is the future. I think when you're talking about big picture structural things, like a lot of the stuff that's gotten the most attention recently is the stuff that will affect this season, but the, the changes that have been made that are going to affect the structure of the game going forward are those changes. And you know, some of that is stuff that uh, ownership in the league has been pushing for for a while like earlier uh this winter before any of this started there was a proposal to pretty dramatically cut down on the number of minor league clubs which would have had ramifications for um i mean certainly for for player development and for the way that guys work through the minors but from the other perspective for fandom for you know people who live in communities that otherwise would have no way to access baseball to being able to see these minor league clubs um, in places like the Appalachian League, um, the Pioneer League. So yeah, the, cutting down on those teams, um, I think can have a, a pretty serious effect on who the game is reaching out to, who has access to baseball. Uh, and it's just really sad, I think, that you know, with, with the changes you've talked about here, cutting the draft down to five rounds this year, which is crazy considering that it's normally 40. Um, but next year, the fact that the, this agreement had a provision for next year to be as few as 20 rounds, so that's only half the typical size. And I have a hard time imagining after they've had it cut down this dramatically for two years, after we've seen clubs go under, whether it's because financially they're not able to weather a lost season or because MLB further prunes down some more. Um, if we're probably looking at permanent changes here of a much smaller draft, a smaller minor league system. And I, I don't think that's good for, for fans, for reaching new people who care about the game or who could care about the game um, and might not even know that they're interested in it if they don't have a way to see it, to access it for, you know, at a relatively affordable price point. And uh, yeah, that makes me really sad. I, I grew up in North Carolina, so I grew up going to more minor league games than major league. Um, and yeah, like that was a huge part of my early baseball fandom and for a lot of other people that that's a huge part as well. So it's pretty sad. Yeah, no, I agree. And kind of on the topic of just the return to sport in general with a lot of teams, even beyond baseball, trying to come back and then you're seeing facilities in Florida all closing because of so many positive tests. Do you think that sports even can come back at all in 2020? It's a really good question. Um, I'm actually working on a story right now where I'm, I'm talking to some epidemiologists and um, public health experts about what we're facing right now because yeah, the, the last couple of weeks, month of June has not been great at all uh, for what we're seeing in terms of the virus and um, 
there are just so many opportunities for any return to sports, really, uh, whether it's in a, a bubble environment, whether it's, you know, what baseball was previously talking about of having teams play in their home ballparks and kind of minimize travel with a revised schedule. No matter what you're talking about, there's risk involved. And um, no matter how much you try to cut down on the number of people who are in a sports environment, it's still a lot beyond the players. Um, a, a ton of people who uh, are maybe older, who might have other medical conditions, who are at risk in ways that, uh, you know, might not be the same for when we think about bringing back sports, we're thinking about, you know, very healthy guys in their 20s, but there's a lot of people beyond that. Um, and that's just really scary uh, that there's a, a lot of ways I think that this could go wrong pre pretty badly, um, which I I've missed sports a lot over the last few months, but I also um, am very hesitant about bringing them back if they can't be done safely. And given what we're seeing right now, I'm not sure how safe it can be. Agreed. Yeah. <laughs> so um, with, you know, like we've already talked about MLB, MLBPA going back and forth, the owners, how do you feel that this is going to affect uh, the collective bargaining agreement that they're supposed to redo? So, <laughs> Yeah, I think it'll be really interesting going forward because uh, different iterations of the proposals that we've seen so far have addressed stuff that would have otherwise been covered in the 2021 collective bargaining agreement, uh, stuff like the designated hitter, um, extra innings modifications, um, things like that. Some of the stuff with the uh, minor leagues in the draft could have been part of that. Um, and the fact that we're seeing it work through now and seeing it work through in a way that is uh, really contentious with a lot of back and forth and lots of mistrust and kind of bad blood on both sides. Um, I think 2021 was already going to be bad given what we've seen in terms of, um, you know, player awareness around labor issues, kind of the changes in the free agent market and how guys were reacting to that. Uh, you know, I, I think it was clear that the sort of, um, financial model of the game was changing in a way that players were definitely going to push back on in 2021. But um, after this, I, I think it's going to be a lot worse. I think this is kind of a warm up to those uh, negotiations. And uh, yeah, I, I think it's going to be pretty intense and um, it's not ideal. It's not looking like a super bright future across the game here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But even looking at, speaking of bright futures, Looking at a league like the KBO, what do you think they're doing correctly, other than the fact that obviously you can't control people outside of sports who are still dealing with COVID and things like that, but as like just looking in the league in general, what do you think they're doing right that the MLB could take tips from? Yeah, I've had a lot of fun watching both KBO and um, the Chinese Pro Professional Baseball League in Taiwan, and I think there are a couple of things they have going on that are really good. I think one is the... Um, the fan environment that even though there aren't fans in those stadiums like they normally would be, it's clear that like they have so much catered to having fun. Like you still see the cheerleaders that they have, um, the amount of sound that they pipe in and the chants and the cheers that they have for each player. That's just a really cool thing that I would love to see MLB embrace more of. Like basically just you know, when you watch one of those leagues, you see people really having fun with it. Um, and I think MLB could really stand to embrace more of that. Uh, 
which just is another way of, I think, bringing more people in, like making it fun, making it exciting, reaching out to, to young people. It, yeah, I think that's all part and parcel of the same thing um, and part of what makes those leagues so much fun to watch. Yeah, of course. Uh, and then I'm actually just going to ask a bit more about your journey. Um, being a woman, not only who loves sports, loves baseball, but also works in sports, have you ever faced sexism firsthand? Yeah. Um, I'm thankful that I haven't had anything super explicit or aggressive or overt, um, which I know, you know, there are some women in the field who I know certainly have. Um, I mean, last year, one of my colleagues was part of a group of women who were screamed at in the Astros clubhouse after the ALCS, um, which was a huge incident at the time. So yeah, like I, I certainly know a lot of women who have faced um, more than I have. And I, you know, I'm grateful, but mostly just feel lucky just by chance that I haven't had the same. But I think anytime you're in an environment where you're one of the only ones, whether that's one of the only women, one of the only, another demographic group, um, there's always stuff that comes with that. Um, and it's been um, hard to adjust to that at times, but I think it's certainly a lot different than it was um, when you talk to older women who were doing this in the 80s, in the 90s, when it was way more likely that you might have players be openly hostile um, to the idea of women in the clubhouse when you would have a more aggressive pushback from readers, from staffers, the, the fact that there's not so much that's explicit anymore. Um, there's still a lot that's implicit and a lot of um, just generally annoying stuff to deal with of being the only one um, or one of the only ones. But um, it's, it's gotten a lot better, I think. And I hopefully will continue to get better. Like it's really encouraging to me that there are so many young women who are coming up behind me, who are in kind of the same age cohort that I'm in. Um, and also I think the other side of it is that it can come with benefits. Like um, almost every profile I do, I talk to um, either the wife or the girlfriend or the mother who a lot of times I see male colleagues who don't necessarily see those as sources in the same way. Um, which is such a shame because there is just so much incredible knowledge and insight in baseball women in and around the game. Um, and yeah, I think just trying to, to make connections where I can with other women, no matter what capacity they're in and to look out for, you know, a lot of great men have been mentors and helpers to me, um, and to other young women, uh, makes it better and hopefully as time goes on, there will be more and more of us. So it's not as much of a only one situation. Perfect. Yeah, we agree. And you're one of my favorite female voices in baseball. And that's why I was so happy when you agreed to come on the pod with us. But so with that being said, because you're somebody whose opinion I would love to hear, kind of going off the point of cutting minor leagues and things like that, how do you see baseball developing now if they're cutting a lot of minor league organizations? Does that fall more onto like universities and younger teams to do the developing if there isn't that minor league system for them to go in through? Yeah, and I think that is like a trend that we've seen more of in the past and probably I think part of what makes MLB feel more secure in being able to change its own model of player development that, you know, 
you see guys specialize younger and younger. Um, like the idea of a pretty raw high schooler is not as common as it used to be because these guys are like playing exclusively baseball from the time they're eight and doing travel ball and doing clinics and all the sorts of things that didn't really exist in the same way like 20 years ago or certainly not before that. Um, so I think you're seeing that. I think you're seeing the college level is getting a lot more sophisticated, like the technology they're using, the expansion of coaching programs um, has been really huge. And the, the type of exposure you get in college is uh, a lot more sophisticated than it used to be. Although the flip side of that is that the finances of college sports right now are also being hit really hard. Baseball is not a revenue sport um, at any college, I think. And so whether we see that change in the future as a response to COVID uh, kind of remains to be seen. So that's one more sticking point in there. But yeah, in general, uh, this blip of uncertainty with COVID aside, colleges are getting way more advanced in terms of what they can do to prepare their guys. Guys are more advanced coming into it. Um, and I think in general with the model of player development that a lot of teams are looking at, um, there's just so much that they're using outside of the, you know, just the grind of minor league life to develop guys. Like the fact that you see so many guys going to places like driveline, if they're pitchers to, you know, work at an independent clinic like that to get different exercises and um, different information to use analytics in different ways. Uh, I, th I think there's room here for kind of the whole model to shift. And I think in some ways that are good and other ways that probably are, are not, um, especially when it comes to growing the game. Um, but yeah, I, I think five years down the road, 10 years down the road, it'll be pretty clear that right now is kind of a tipping point and it's going to look pretty radically different. For sure. And so lastly, you're on my end. Uh, I'm just going to switch it up a little. Um, so when the season does come back, uh, what team do you think is going to have a higher hit by pitch record, the Astros or the Yankees? <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> That's one of the crazy things is like in February, I could not imagine uh, feeling like the Astros were like a, a sidebar to anything, like other than the biggest story that was going to occupy everything. And now at this point, when, when, they, when it comes back, if it comes back, like – I wonder, like, are people going to be able to muster up the same, uh, you know, enthusiasm is not the right word, but I guess passion. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I think it's got to be the Astros. Um, and in, in a sense, I, I kind of hope that we see that passion around it come back for even though this was obviously a scandal, something that was not casting baseball in a good light. It was so interesting and different and just seeing the like passion around it um, was I guess invigorating, like certainly not positive, but uh, yeah, if we're at a point where we can all focus on the Astros again and uh, we're seeing them get uh, <laughs> some beanball, uh, I think that we could all take that as a win, hopefully. So, <laughs> Awesome. Well, that's everything from our end. Is there anything else you wanted to add or ask us? Uh, not particularly. I think it's just, it's cool to see that you guys have this podcast. It's, um, I think the first all female podcast I've ever been on to talk sports and that's, uh -huh. uh, that's really cool. So yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Emma, for joining us. Yeah, thank definitely. <laughs> all right. So thank you so much to Emma for joining us. Lots of fun. I loved 
listening to what she had to say. So very knowledgeable for us. Yes. And we will post her links and stuff in the bio of this pod because she was such a great guest to have. But we're just going to jump right back into the sports news of this week. Hell yeah, we are. All right. So sports are coming back, hopefully. Still, we're waiting. We've got some roadblocks, though, to the comeback. Oh, yeah. A lot of we questioning, I guess, going around, like the different leagues. Yeah, well, baseball. What's happening with baseball? Baseball. Uh, they shut down some facilities in Arizona and in Florida because of the outbreaks there. They're doing extreme cleansing of different facilities. Um, yeah, multiple teams tested positive. I think mostly Phillies players. I think there was five. Five players, three staff. And then there was a – pardon? It's a Jesus. Yeah. And then um, – a pitcher was it a pitcher or just a player I forget for the Jays part of the 40-man roster he had symptoms he I don't know if he tested positive but he had symptoms uh Giants they had someone test a family member test positive and then the Rangers just want to be clear of everything so there's deep cleaning and then Nationals Angels just multiple people in general Jesus well yeah. I know the Raptors have gone to florida now in fort myers for yeah. their pre-disney camp so they're still i guess the nba is still kind of good to go but the nhl who kind of had it from the beginning like 2014 format let's go because yeah. there were almost four thousand new cases of covid in florida on friday uh the tampa bay facilities had to close multiple players and staff tested positive mm-hmm. and one really big hockey player who especially in canada made waves for testing positive was austin matthews but the reason it made waves was because he didn't get to tell everyone that he tested positive. It's like, yeah, he's a ama- like he doesn't have to tell anyone. They could have just said a Leafs player. They did yeah. that for Ottawa, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, they've done that for a lot of players. Like yeah. I think, I think other than like Rudy Gobert because he did the whole microphone thing and then got COVID. Yeah. Like for a lot of teams, it's just like you know a player tested positive, multiple yeah. players tested positive. But, like, not only did they say, oh, Austin Matthews, he didn't say it. Steve Simmons, you know, hot dog guy, broke the story without really consulting that. And that's very personal information. That's not something you should just be outing people to have. And, yeah, a lot of people recover from COVID. But still, like, we're in the middle of a pandemic. It's a very sensitive, even with all the things going on in the world right now. Like, the Black Lives Matter protests are still happening. It's still Pride Month, like. There's other fish to fry in the world other than COVID. It's a very sensitive time. And he just decides to out somebody's health, like, was it health records? Without even asking them. Exactly. He got it, he got away from his agent? No, I forget now. I'm getting the Ezekiel Elliott one confused now with the Austin Matthews one. Yeah, I don't know, like, all the details on the Matthews one, but pretty much a lot of people were mad at Steve Simmons because he basically broke it without permission. And the big thing is, like, a lot of people keep saying it's illegal, where it's not, because it's illegal if it's a health official that does it, right? I think so, because okay. they're supposed to be private. But yeah. it's it's not illegal, it's just, like, a really crappy thing to do. Yeah, and like Haley said, with the hot dog thing, that whole, he was, like, Steve Simmons is already a questionable person. Yeah. Um, if you're not from Toronto, uh, basically, he said in, like, 2015, 2014, I forgot when he said it, basically saying, like, Phil Kessel would go to Front and John and Toronto. It's an intersection in Toronto. Get a hot dog every day. But then, first off, 
you're naming the intersection you work like you could possibly live at yeah and then was it the oh god was it, it was a leaves article i sent you earlier today where basically they debunked that that's actually where he lived Phil yeah Kessler didn't live there but basically it was just and he didn't walk every day to go get a hot dog <laughs> yeah no it was just a bunch of nonsense that was like kind of clickbaity and just like not true at all and was using phil kessel's name in a bad light hot dog yeah. phil we stand my president but his obsession with Amanda. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's just, it's not right to do that to anybody. And we're hoping Austin recovers soon, but kind of on the topic of the return to sports, a lot of college teams went back for voluntary workouts. So they had to sign waivers if they were working out, if they chose to, but it was voluntary workouts, but like 23 Clemson players and 30 LSU players, well, 23 Clemson players tested positive. Mm-hmm. 30 LSU players are in quarantine. I know like Kansas State literally went from having zero positive tests to now pausing all their camps because like think football is a sport where you have so many people on your roster. You have an offense and a defense and a special teams. Like you have so many players plus you have backups for all those positions. Like it's insane the amount of people who are there and yeah a lot of schools are trying to take it you know chunks at a time but those players are in such close proximity. Football is a sport where you're literally trying to hit the other person and get the ball. So, like, it's an insane amount. And these are very young people. Like, they have very, you know, not weak immune systems. Their athletes are very healthy. But still, like, they're growing. They're not. And we've seen COVID take people of all ages. So that really doesn't matter anyways. But just, you know, think of MLB players. Or MLB is a sticky situation with the contracts and everything. But even, like, some NBA players or WNBA players have already said they're not playing due to their health. Well, these people, they literally don't even get paid. Yeah, Like, they, they make no money for playing these sports and are putting their health at risk. So, yeah, it's kind of a sticky situation. Like, think of, like, for instance, like, with hockey, Max Domi. Guy has diabetes. Do you expect him just to be all cool and, like, fine with this? Like, with the whole, like, the <laughs> sorry, <laughs> NHL players are kind of, like, going back or, like, 40% or something like that are really reluctant to actually start going back into play. That's a large number, 35 to 40%. Um, and they, there was an article, I, I forget who posted it. It might have been The Athletic. But they were talking to some players, and they were saying how they're very against it because even just think of the staff. A lot of the coaches and staff are older people. Like They're more at risk of this, you, not even just getting it, but like the long-term effects like we've mentioned before. Exactly. Yeah, that's what Emma was saying, too. Like, there's older people who are in management and things like that. And even if they, you know, beat COVID, there's you can have lung problems afterwards, and it affects your health long term. That's the problem with this virus. Yeah, it has a 99.5% recovery rate, but it still has the aftermath. So it's very scary for a lot of people, especially I feel for college athletes, because as much as, yeah, they're getting scholarships, well, first of all, not every athlete on a team gets a scholarship. A lot of them are walk-ons, a lot of them have partial scholarships, you know? And also, they don't get paid to play. So if they're told, yeah, there's a season you have to play, I mean, yeah, some of them can boycott it, but a lot of them, you know, if they're in their freshman or sophomore year and they want to play a sophomore, senior, junior year, whatever, they don't really have the choice to just say no because there's going to be, you know, possible kickback to that if they say no I'm not going to play the coach say well you're off the team somebody else will play so yeah but kind of speaking of kickback with college athletes so like I said with everything going on in the world and 
Black Lives Matter, which is a movement, not a moment. We've seen a lot of people not really talking about it. Anymore, Ooh, I've but never it's... heard about that. Like, oh, yeah. not Black Lives Matter. I mean, like, it's a movement. <laughs> <laughs> we did an episode. Girlie, where you been? Oh, uh, yeah, I meant, like, it's a movement, not a moment. I like that. Well, it's true. There's a lot of people who, you know, they, they posted their black square and went on with their life. Like, that's not how it works. This that's is something that... That's enough activism. That's enough... <laughs> that was like, I saw something that was like... What do y'all mean, allyship fatigue? You discovered racism 72 hours ago. <laughs> the tea I is piping. Oh, goodness. So funny. No, but it's true. Like, a lot of people think it's just, all right, I've said my piece. You know, the media has stopped covering protests. That's not how it works. You should be actively learning, unlearning racism. If you're not anti-racist, then you're inherently kind of racist. Because if you're not fighting against racism, then, you know, yeah, you can say I'm not a racist, but you really need to be unlearning and educating yourself and listening to people of color when they have something to say. Mm-hmm. But on that topic, so Mike Gundy, who is the head coach of the Oklahoma State Cowboys, he was seen wearing a One America News Network shirt, which has had accusations of past racially coded comments and other things, you know, kind of like a liberal, no, not liberal, was it conservative? It's like yeah. backwards. Whatever it is in Canada, it's, like, backwards. Yeah. No. Yeah. Kind of. Conservative is, like, red and liberal is blue, I think. In the I States. guess it's a conservative in Vineyard Vines, and then whoever wears Vineyard Vines. Are <laughs> yeah. So, exactly. Vineyard Vines wearing people. So, <laughs> Gundy was pictured wearing this shirt, which already was bad enough because everyone was saying things about Dabo for wearing a Football Matters shirt in light of all this Black Lives Matter. But Gundy was pictured wearing this shirt. On a fishing trip. Juba Hubbard, who is a star running back, probably Heisman candidate this year, said, I'm not playing until things change. And that's huge because yeah. a lot of people are rooting for Oklahoma State in the Big 12 this year. You know, Oklahoma's lost Jalen Hurts, has lost a lot of their stars. So they're thinking, like, this is our year. And he was kind of took the world by storm saying, like, I'm not playing until something changes. So like you said, you described it best. I'll let you describe the video because a video came out of Mike Gundy and Chuba. And Mike Gundy didn't apologize, Tuba did, which makes no sense to me, but your description of the video is the best. Okay, so so before this, the subscription, God, before the description of the video, I um, just basically he apologizes, Chuba, which is, so I find it so weird why he's apologizing, because he's just like, I shouldn't have, I should have been a man and talked about it, not talked about it on Twitter. Twitter, you, people have to, like, I'll talk about shit on Twitter, because yeah, that's why I have a larger following, like. Exactly. Yeah, it, it was so weird. It was just kind of like a okay, action, and okay, they had like guns to their backs kind of thing. They were like, "We work together in brotherhood." <laughs> yeah, like, no, it was so, it was so, it was so uncomfortable, so awkward. And like Gundy wasn't even the one apologizing when he should have been. He posted a video later on apologizing, but at that point, it was like everyone said, "Like, why was Chuba the one to apologize first when he was literally bringing like to an issue?" Somebody said when Mike Gundy played at Oklahoma State, he was using the N-word in, like, the late 80s, early 90s. Like, just super unacceptable, especially when you're an adult, you know the effects that that word can have. And saying that to your teammates of color, and especially when you're a coach to many players of color, like, you're supposed to be a leader for them. So that's pretty disgusting. So we'll see what happens there. I mean, we don't even know if college football is going to have a season now because of everything happening with you know so many players on all these teams testing positive for COVID but we'll definitely have to be on the lookout for what happens there I'm sure it's going to be a it's not like a 
what am I trying to say, continuing story, but until we see, you know, the Cowboys report for their first game of the season or whatever, we won't really see what's mm-hmm. going on there. So, yeah, speaking about Cowboys, e-hawing. That's <laughs> why <laughs> I was like, I'm going to let Haley introduce it, but I was like, no, I, this is, I'm itching to say this right now. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Talking about Cowboys. <laughs> Hey. Yeehaw! When I say yee, you say ha. Hi. I didn't say fucking yee. Put your yees right in yahem. <laughs> oh my god. Anyways, before we lose our entire following, Sorry. um, the Belmont Stakes happened, which is weird because it's never, ever, ever open to the Triple Crown. It's never. Like, the Preakness is happening in September, and the no, the Kentucky Derby is happening in September, and the Preakness is happening in October. I think one of the those dates. It's September, October. I don't know which one's which. Um, Tis the law won the race. I don't. This is. I don't really know. Tis the law. It truly is in in today's society. Tis the law. Tis the law. <laughs> I don't know like who names horses. Like I've never understood. I remember going to like Mohawk as a child. I'm betting on horses. I hate betting. Like, I went to Las Vegas and spent $3. I won. I lost my first two and won $40 on my third one and, like, didn't bet again. I hate spending money. But, like, I love betting on horse racing. I don't know why. But I've never understood the naming process. Like, if somebody wants to reach out and educate me on the naming process of horses, because they just have the most random names. Yo, fat mama coming down the lane. (laughs) Like, literally, it's, like, big homies running... (laughs) Pardon? Like, it's like Fridge Toe Jam is a name. Like, I don't know why. Like, I don't understand um, the name process. Toenail clippings. Like, truly. <laughs> like, I want to look up now, like, most outrageous horse names I'm because some of them are just up. so weird. I'm going to look it up right now. Yeah, while you look that up. So, it was a shortened track. It was one and one-eighths instead of one and a half miles. And it, I think it's the shortest race it's ever been. It's just kind of a look at how racing culture will change, but I'm sure people were still betting on them from their homes. So that aspect of kind of, you know, racing culture, Kentucky Derby, everyone's there in their hats and their dresses and their suits. You can't do that anymore. So kind of if things like that will change is what I'm wondering about, but you look like you found some good names. Okay, so this is a list of seven of them, just seven. Um, okay, so Putu. Putu! Look, it's P-O-T-O. Poto? Well, if there's that many O's. Oh, I thought you just said it was P-O-T-O. P-O-T-O-O-O-O-O-O-O-O. I said Poto. Oh, I can't. And then next we got Why Kick a Moo Cow. It's literally pronounced Why Kick a Moo Cow. Um, and then we got Ghost Zapper. <laughs> and we got Hoof Harden. <laughs> the horse. I understood it when I said it. Who farted? Who farted? <laughs> you farted? You farted? <laughs> the number three, we got R. I have a speech impediment, but R. <laughs> oh order in the court. Me. Me I is a horse. Order in the court is a horse. Uh, and then Clyde Van Dusen. Clyde Van Dusen. Clyde Van Dusen. Yeah, I... Can somebody educate me on, because, like, I know that the jockeys don't even own the horses. Like, rich people own the horses, and then the jockeys just ride them. 
So rich people, what is your logic? Like, worst thing really go on, like, randomwordgenerator.com and then... <laughs> <laughs> Truly. Like, think, like, I had this wiener dog in my store, like, two months ago named Latte, and I was like, oh... That's a weird name. It was cute, but I was like, that's a weird name for a wiener dog. Like, think of all the weird names that dogs are. Horses are, like, eight times as weird. Yeah. I don't, I don't get it. But enough about that. Our last issue is actually pretty serious, but it's had a little bit of a lighter ending. Not ending, but lighter continuation of the story today. So, last night, Bubba Wallace, not Bubba Watson, like we keep saying, not the golfer. So I got golf on the brain. We're just golfing girls. So I find us on the back nine. Sorry, this is another back nine podcast. (laughs) No, Bubba Wallace, the um, black NASCAR driver, Mm -hmm. last night in his garage at Talladega found a noose in his garage, which is absolutely disgusting, Mm -hmm. especially in light of everything happening right now. The uh, the NASCAR sound like my Scottish immigrant grandmother who used to call things like the Costco. The, sorry. I say the Mandarin. Yeah, but it is. Well, I know it's Mandarin, but we all say the Mandarin. But no, she used to say like everything. Except like, I can't even think of one. Like, I'm going to Tim Hortons. She'd be like, I'm going to the Tim Hortons. Why, Grant? Why? The but, Ohio State. <laughs> you know it. <laughs> no, um, so NASCAR banned the Confederate flag. Yeah. A lot of NASCAR fans went crazy. A lot of NASCAR drivers, except for Ray Ciccarelli. He almost ruined my family name. Almost ruined the Ciccarelli family name. (laughs) He was like, I'll be never racing again. Um, He literally always came in last, so we won't miss you, Ray. But a lot of people were in support of that, too. It's a flag that shouldn't be flown in NASCAR, really anywhere in the world. But But NASCAR especially happens in the South, and there's a lot of racism still in the South, and they're trying to get rid of that in the sports. A lot of people were absolutely in support of that. And so Bob Wallace found a noose in his garage, which is disgusting. But today, drivers and track crew and everyone were walking along the track and pushing Bubba Wallace's car behind him yeah. as a like I stand with Bubba moment which was amazing which is kind of disgusting how like the culture of the sport like people aren't willing to change yeah. and Bomani Jones who's one of my favorite part of me favorite sports analysts so I just had a little hiccup there Bomani Jones Jones oh my god is like my favorite sports analyst other than Joel Klatt but he was saying it's because they've kind of been coddled in this culture for so long and it's been acceptable. So now kind of just like a 180, there's no flags, there's a black driver in the heat of all of this happening in the U.S. especially all around the world is supporting this, but especially in the U.S. where a lot of these deaths are happening. It's just kind of a lot of people just won't accept it. I know there was, I saw a video on Twitter that drivers with Confederate flags near Talladega Speedway were like holding up traffic just to like be douchebags. Which is like, I'm sorry, what? The flag's ugly as hell anyway, so. Well, yeah, first of all, it's not even cute. It ain't. Second of all, what does it matter to you in your life if there's somebody driving a race car whose skin is different color than yours? I've never understood it in general. You know, you don't get to choose your skin. You don't choose your sexuality. So I don't understand ever why people hate on those things because they're not a choice. Like, they didn't choose... You think anyone would choose to live their life like that and be hated on for absolutely no reason? No. But Bubba, he came out better on the other side, didn't let them get him down, and everyone stood with him. And I think that's the part that matters the most. Like yeah. you said, Ray literally pushed himself out of NASCAR. See you never. We won't miss him. He doesn't do anything, anything. anyway, so... 
but just to see a lot of the drivers standing with Bubba in that moment at Talladega was amazing. And I think a lot of people will support NASCAR from this. Cause I know even myself, like I'd never watched NASCAR. I never understood why it was on a sports network. If that was like the only thing on, I would just not watch sports because I was like, NASCAR has no pull for me. But I think a lot of people are going to be NASCAR fans because of these moments. Yeah, hundred percent. And for, like, it was so weird because they found it. So obviously the race was postponed yesterday because of the rain. But right. in the garage, they have new health restrictions that they're not even letting drivers can't even go in the garage. So it's only limited to the team members and like some ground, not ground crew, but like maintenance, house maintenance kind of people. It's only limited to them. So the FBA's launched an investigation on it. I don't know about investigation, investigation on it. Uh, so yeah, hopefully they'll find out who that is soon. I would suspect they would find that out pretty soon if cameras were in 2020, but you know. Yeah. Especially, do you think, because I saw something about another death that happened in the States and they literally bashed all the cameras and took the DVR. So like, I'm hoping they had, I know it's so messed up. Like it makes me so sad every day. I try to see the positives. Like you said, like the moment today where they're all on the racetrack, walking, pushing Bubba's car, those things make me happier, but there's just like so much darkness so I hope they find out who did that and literally put them in jail, but also ban them from NASCAR forever. No Confederate flags, more Dixie Chicks. Yes, please. That's, it. That's All it. we want. Goodbye, Earl. <laughs> literally, Landslide. I know Fleetwood Mac, you know, <laughs> Landslide, but still, their cover is amazing. I'm not ready to make nice. I'm, I'm not, not ready, ready to back, back down. down. I'm so mad as hell. <laughs> I don't have time to go round and round and round. It's too late to make it right. What's, what's the line? That's why I just wanted to hear the line, shout up and sing or my life will be over, but I had to do the whole part to be able to figure that was the line. Hey, and I had to do, so I was this is not really on topic now anymore but I was in a media studies like that was my manner in university so I took music I think it was a music class yeah we did like classes on like Bruce Springsteen and stuff but my I did a presentation on the Dixie Chicks and that whole scandal I love that yeah no I over like I love the Dixie Chicks already growing up but after I do the presentation actually like because I didn't know much. I was like, how old were the Dixie Chicks were really popular? Like, yeah, probably six. How the hell am I supposed to know that? So, yeah. <laughs> probably six. Yeah. Let's see if like, Cowboy Take Me Away. That's a bop as well. I want to walk and not run. <laughs> <laughs> hey, guys, if you want to sign us to your record label, we're also open to that. Thanks so much. <laughs> I want to pity everyone for miles and miles. Jesus Christ. You. Anyways. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. I feel bad for everyone who had to hear me sing. At least you're a good singer. I you consider that good? <laughs> you consider that good? I remember, okay, there was one time that we were driving to Scotiabank, and you were like, oh, you actually hit that note. And I was like, yeah, weren't we listening to Elton John? probably <laughs> i feel like we were why wouldn't we be it's either that or like one direction i don't know unless you're hitting the note in you and i because you and i <laughs> uh close zane just had a heart murmur but you know <laughs> i'm the worst 
God. I am so sorry. On that note, we're literally so off topic now. So thank you guys for tuning in, and we will see y'all next week. The camera's dead ass. (laughs) Bye.